Welcome to this week's episode of the EDS at Union Now podcast. This semester, we selected No Fire in the Ashes by Darnell Moore as our community read. Moore joined us on campus last Wednesday, September 18th, and we will be sharing his conversation with Dean Douglas in the feed next week. For this week's episode, Dean Douglas sat down with Reverend Mike Kinman and Juliana Serrano from the All Saints Church in Pasadena, California. Similar to EDS at Union, All Saints has selected No Ashes in the Fire as their congregational read, and will be hosting events at their church later this month. It is inspiring to see the synergy between our program and Episcopal churches around the country, and we look forward to continuing our partnership with Reverend Kinman and Juliana Serrano in the future. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and share the show with your friends and family. And with that, here is Dean Douglas with today's podcast. Like to welcome to our conversation on this afternoon the Reverend Mike Kinman and Juliana Serrano, both of whom have come to us from across country, yep. from the other coast, as we <laughs> like to say, in California, from All Saints yep. Episcopal Church uh, in Los Angeles, uh, California, Pasadena. Pasadena, right. Uh, Pasadena. I know Pasadena well because yep. of the Rose Bowl. So, right. And now I know it even better because of your church. It is such a joy and a privilege to have you both here with us uh, this afternoon and to join us in this conversation uh, as a continuation of the partnership that we have built uh, with All Saints Pasadena. But I want to begin by asking you, what brings you here today? Uh, well, first of all, what brings us here is your invitation, which I really appreciate. And so a couple levels. First of all, I am so intrigued and excited about the possibility of, and really the reality of our congregation and uh, EDS at Union growing in deeper relationship. Um, what we're, and the transitions we're making and what we're exploring as a congregation of how do we really make some interesting changes of culture and structure um, so that we are poised to in 10, 15, 20 years, uh, be a, a force for healing, be a force for reconciliation, be a force for mission in the world, um, and frankly not be so concerned with our own institutional survival. Um, and that's a huge piece of work. And I look at the creative energy, I look at the theological uh, just voices and minds and hearts that exist at EDS and Union, uh, and I look at the opportunity to have like the group of students we just met with to say, how can we be partnering together uh, in really saying, what is God trying to do with the church right now? Uh, and so the idea of this collaborative partnership, that's what brings us here. And then we had this first step uh, of saying, well, how do we start this? And you had the idea of, well, we're doing this reading of No Ashes in the Fire. And so what if we did that too? And so we're here for that event and excited about that. And people back in Pasadena will be watching the live stream. And then you and I and Thomas Diaz from our LGBTQ ministry are going to be hosting a book discussion group in a couple of weeks at All Saints. Um, and then we're just going to kind of see where this goes. Yeah, well, that excites me as well yeah. to see where this goes as we explore this and live into this because... We wholeheartedly believe, and uh, the three of us have been in these conversations before, that theology, 
course, the self-test of the church and theological institutions right. must be exist and only have credibility in as much as they're in relationship to the church. And so I'm excited to see uh, how we continue to develop this relationship to make a difference in, in the world and, and, and doing the gospel. Mm -hmm. But I want to I wanna return to what you uh, said, the particular event that mm -hmm. we are having here this evening and that we're doing together across the coast, right? And that is joining in our book read of mm -hmm. No Ashes in the Fire. I want to ask both you and Juliana, and we can move Juliana, when you closed that book after you read that book, which is the story of a black queer man mm -hmm. and his journey, as he says, mm -hmm. uh, to becoming black and free. And as we said to our students, it's uh, not a hard read in the sense that, you know, it's this hard theological, Bardian-like read, but it's also not an easy read. Mm -hmm. So when you close that book, what, how did it leave you? It left me feeling an immense sense of gratitude because as Darnell opened the book, he shared that he had never read a story about a person like himself mm -hmm. and he figured it wasn't going to happen unless he moved forward and made it happen on his own and so I felt immense sense of gratitude in his boldness for making that leap and sharing his story because we don't know many stories of the Darnells of the world mm -hmm. in literature right in mm -hmm. book form right we may have the privilege to have been proximate to someone mm -hmm. like Darnell but actually getting to read a book of his story. And, and it was really interesting to me because this summer as I read the book, I had actually reread Ta-Nehisi Coates Between uh, the World yeah. and Me. And then when I finished it, I picked up Darnell's book. Wow, quite. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, and that was unintentional. And mm -hmm. I was also so grateful that that's how it unfolded for me because here I was faced with two very similar stories, mm -hmm. two very different stories at the same time. And wow, isn't that humanity, right? right? That there are all these similarities between us, and yet we can have very different experiences at the same time. And as a Latina woman, I mean, I connected with Darnell's story in very many ways, but then there were struggles that he struggles with that I, I know nothing about, and I need to know more about, I need to put mm -hmm. myself in more of that listening position, and I was able to do that by reading his story. I'm gonna to return to that in mm -hmm. a minute, but Mike, what about you? How so, it's so like, yes, absolutely. Uh, two things jumped out at me. And actually, most of the book, I listened to the audiobook, mm. which I found really moving because it really felt like I was just listening to someone tell their story. And so, and actually, when I would sort of, I'd have the book with me and carry it around, listen to the audiobook in the car, and then I'd switch to the book. And it was actually a really different experience. Yeah. And in many ways, I really preferred the audiobook mm -hmm. because I was just so drawn in by the narrative. Um, so two things. The first is um, the particularity of not just the intersection of being black and gay, but the myriad of intersections mm -hmm. that this story comes at, which is a reminder that all of our lives, each of our lives, are these myriad of complex intersections, and that our stories are a combination of what happens there, and that we tend to segment, and we even call, sort of say social problems, and we talk about issues. Um, and 
what we're being invited to, particularly by the generations that are rising right now, um, is frankly to do what Jesus did and to recognize that it's actually not about issues. It's about individual people. Right. It's about community right. in all of our complexity. The other thing, there was one line of the book that just captured me. Uh, and it was in like the third chapter or the fourth chapter. And he's talking about um, his, the experience where his, his father was beating his mother mm -hmm. and he called the relative down the street and came over. And his mother then laid into him saying, what happens in this house stays mm -hmm. in this house. Mm -hmm. And he writes this, he says, painful secrets are like a cancer feeding on the heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and we've actually been talking about this at All Saints Church last week, and we're going to keep talking about it this week. Is that um, we all carry these painful secrets, and all of us have mm -hmm. them. And the church has become, you know, as a, a frankly a church of respectability. Um, it has been the place where, God forbid, it's the last place that you would ever share your secrets. That's right. Mm -hmm. Um, and yet, if you look at Christ, what Jesus did is cut to the heart of saying, you know, where's your secret? You know, it's, you know, if you want healing, go to the wound. And, hmm. and so the whole book was saying, I'm no, you know, what I got from him, I'm interested in hearing from him, is saying, I am not going to hold on to this painful secret anymore mm -hmm. and let mm -hmm. it feed on my heart. And so then I think about, wow, every one of us has painful secrets. And how can we let his courage in writing this book invite us all into sharing our painful secrets so that they can be open to healing and transformation? And yeah. yeah, no, I like that. And it even reminds you it becomes uh, also a metaphor for the painful secrets that our church holds, the painful mm -hmm. secrets that yeah. this nation holds, Absolutely. you know, and yeah. so this call to tell the truth and we see right the way in which it has become yes. a cancer right. uh, in yeah. our country yes. and in our church because we won't tell the painful secrets of who we are as a nation yeah. that has you know perpetuated this white supremacist cis hetero yeah. patriarchal kind of system and structure I want to get back to something uh, you said in your response and uh, some of the things that sort of grabbed you and, mm -hmm. and that you didn't know. Mm -hmm. What, as you think about mm -hmm. the memoir, what was, let's use this word of painful for a minute. Where was, as you read it, one of those painful episodes or that, you know, you just had to pause and stop and take in? What, 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 what was something that really grabbed you and why? I think as someone who struggles with death and dying, mm. when he talks about the physical loss of a lot of people in his life mm -hmm. um, and what impact that had on him, um, like there was just many moments that I was brought to tears, especially mm -hmm. around the death of his grandfather, mm -hmm. right? That, yeah. that really, uh, you know, it makes my heart beat mm -hmm. a little fast even as I recall that part of the book. Um, and, and I was also just really intrigued, really intrigued, because knowing that we were reading it together as a community, um, both here and back on the other coast with our congregation, that we were two-thirds of the way into the book, I want to say, before he finally mentions God and faith. Yeah. Right? And so 
what was also hard and um, I would also say a little bit joyful to me because like that that resonated with me like oh yeah and God <laughs> right like here's here is my story and all of my experiences and all of my challenges and all the joy and all the love I mean because that's one of the things that I also appreciated in the book yeah. was this theme of love being present in his life um, but then finally getting to that point of talking about God and his faith and all the work that needed to be done to reconcile his secrets with his mm -hmm. faith. I mean, right. that also mm. really resonated with me because in my own spiritual journey, I've had that kind of approach also where it's been a, a, a love and hate approach with God and one in which I often forget about God. And then it's the like, oh yeah, and then there's this presence and then there's this reality of my faith in my story. Now what are we going to do about it? Yeah, good. I'm with, again, you... I'm going to pick up on something you said, and I'm going to toss it to you, Mike. Okay. Our church and our presiding bishop has called us into the way of love, yeah. right? And we're all supposed to act out yeah. uh, and enact and embody and all of this, the way of love. Fine. And here we talk about, as you say, there is this theme of love that runs through this book. But it's not this kind of, notion of this easy kind of uncomplicated because we're talking about the way of love mm -hmm. amongst in a world of hate and not in that simplistic way right mm -hmm. hate is violence of this the kind of the ways in which violence continually enacted itself mm -hmm. uh in darnell's life and the realities of violence so mm -hmm. What does the way of love mean? What does it mean for our church to be called into the way of love? What does what's the challenge from Darnell Moore's book about the way of love that we're supposed to act out? Well, and and so I'll first say what it's not, <laughs> and that the way of love is not the way of nice, <laughs> and and part of the respectability culture that mm -hmm. definitely the white church has had mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. conflating love and nice, mm -hmm. um, and nice is actually the enemy of love. Mm -hmm. uh, because nice is not saying the hard thing. Uh, nice is worrying more about the appearance than the reality. Uh, nice is, it, it, love is about, um, I love you so much that I am willing not only to speak a hard truth in love to you, I'm willing to hear a hard truth in love mm -hmm. for you. I'm actually willing to risk the relationship um, for the sake of, of love. Uh, and so, the invitation to the church uh, is, I, I, I want to go back to a couple things. The first is the vulnerability mm -hmm. that he showed mm -hmm. throughout the book. Uh, and, and it is this idea that, I mean, this is what the cross is. Right. Cross is ultimate vulnerability. It is refusing to stop loving no matter what the cost in a world that knows that, as Becca Stevens says, love is the most powerful force for social change in the universe, for change mm -hmm. anyway in the universe, yeah. and that empire fears love. <laughs> and so refusing to love, no matter what empire in its many forms will do, and saying, I'm going to be vulnerable, I'm going to love uh, no matter what. Uh, and then part of, like, we just adopted a mission a new mission statement at All Saints Church. And it starts out, we're an Episcopal church following a revolutionary Jesus, loving without judgment. Mm. And what that means is uh, not that we think everything that you do is okay. You know, like, you know, doesn't matter, whatever. It is saying mm. that so many people, uh, and I saw this in Darnell's book, 
um, the struggle with faith, the struggle with God, the struggle with Jesus, is they have experienced a God and a Jesus who is all about judgment, um, who looks at them and says, because of this, you are unworthy, you are unlovable, you are unacceptable mm -hmm. because of who you are, because of what you have done. Uh, and, and the baseline is, no, you're created in God's image, you're good, you are lovable, and nothing can change that. And because of that, we can do the hard work of speaking painful truth to each other because the most important thing, which is God's love for us, we're never going to lose. So we can go to the cross in whatever form that is because at the end we still will have God's love and we'll still live that out for each other, which means we don't need to worry if we make our budget. You know, we don't need to worry uh, what our attendance is, you know. Um, you know, and we all worry about these things. We don't need to worry about our next seminary board meeting or, or <laughs> right. vestry meeting. It's like, because all those pale in comparison. And, and, and so what we get to do is we get to take all those things, like the money, like the community, like the structures, and say, uh, you know, the invitation to the way of love is to say, the end to which all of these things exist is love that transforms, is love that heals, is love that makes right and speaks the truth of what has been broken so it can be made whole. And to live that out is, doesn't necessarily mean, it's certainly not a romanticized notion yeah. of love, and I like that love isn't always nice. It doesn't feel cozy and, and warm and all of that, particularly when you're talking about love uh, as you enact it toward, act it out toward empire, which means as you act it out Toward our church, uh, right. uh, and yeah. as our church lives it out in relationship even to itself. So, but that our church would hear that. It's, well, and if I could add, yeah. you know, I, I think you know, calling it work is is a, is a true statement, right? Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. it it takes a lot of effort. And one of the things that I also appreciated about Darnell and sharing the story is that he accounts for the fact that he had to do a lot of personal yeah. work, right, yeah. to get there. And one of the best examples of the work that he had put in to you know, coming from a place of love is the way in which he was able to talk about the perpetrator of this hateful violence right. that occurred to him mm -hmm. and, and basically say, you know what? He was going through his own stuff too, mm -hmm. right? That he didn't judge him, he didn't persecute him, he didn't dispose of this person who perpetrated a horrific act of violence on him. Instead, he approached it with love and said, you know, I have a lot of empathy because I know he was coming from his own struggles. I mean, that was a that was a huge wow moment for me because I would love to think that I could demonstrate that. Yeah. And I don't know if I could, but he's obviously done so much work and exploration. Yeah. And that has been in combination in his faith and community, right, which was his biggest uh, signifier of love as he reflects back on the story. It's like, it's always been there through my community, through my family. It's always been present. Well, and then even the ability for him to be able to say, wow, just even as I identify the deep brokenness and pain of my father, it's like mm. I was and becoming this. He talks right. about, he looks at the relationship with mm. the girl that he dated in college, right. Leslie, yes. and he's like, wow, that was absolutely an abusive relationship. I was just using her for these things. Um, and then the other relationship where, you know, this person was speaking truth to him and he's like, well, I was listening, but I wasn't going to be changed by it. Um, and, and, it and so there was this, and it, to me, it gets to the heart of like, we, you know, we talk about reconciliation. It's like, we have an app for that. And it, and yeah. it is these stages. Right. And the first, and as the church, we tend to do cursory self-examination, do a moment of confession, 
pretty much jump over reparation um, <laughs> and amendment of life and expect absolution. Right. right. Um, and this is like, wow, mm -hmm. this is this is like a living sacramental rite of reconciliation because the self-exam, you know, like every one of these stages are in there. Mm -hmm. It is this deep self-examination mm -hmm. that from that comes knowing what to confess. Um, and then also really talking about, okay, these are, this, this is the work that needs to be done. And this is how I realized I could live differently. And it was like, you know, actually in a very sort of joyful, uplifting way. Um, and that's, that's what leads to new life. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I thought that was incredible. Yeah, no, you know, and of course, yes. And in the end, he talks about the fact that he was looking for this guy who uh, was party to an initiator of this uh, dreadful act that I don't want to give away because I want people right. to read the right. book right, right. Uh, <laughs> that are listening that haven't read it, but provided the title, <laughs> No Ashes in the Fire. But one of the things we also recognize, and in, in, in after, yes, I affirm... Uh, deeply what you both said, is that perhaps he also, he recognizes when we're talking about these people who perpetuated this act upon him, uh, that which Polo Freire has reminded us mm -hmm. that uh, oppressed people cannot initiate violence. And yeah. so yeah. that there was a prior act of violence and mm -hmm. so that a prior acts of violence and the people are trapped in cycles of violence, right? Mm -hmm. And so that uh, the, by the time we see the kind of violence that was enacted upon him, there has already been uh, previous acts of violence that have uh, created that violence. And so it's even it's awareness of the systemic, structural, cultural, ideological, all of that violence that impacts uh, a person's life mm -hmm. in such a way that Absolutely. it deadens uh, emotion. It, yeah. I want to ask a couple more questions uh, to you both. What do you expect? We're reading a book about a black queer man and you're a white congregation for the most part reading this book, right? Yeah. What do you hope they get out of this book? And why did you think that this was okay, okay for this? <laughs> right, well, to, to, to like, dare to have them read this book. Well, right, so like for me, Frankly, the reason we're reading this book is because you said you're. I didn't know what the book was. <laughs> it's when um, you picked it up. Did you say, "Oh my gosh, why did I agree?" Well, no, but I, so, so this is so. So part of uh, that's pretty funny. Uh, so part of maybe just a little. Well, no, and so like this actually. The next time I'll ask. This 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 actually gets into sort of just how I believe the Holy Spirit works in community, which is like, you know, like when someone comes to preach at All Saints Church, like I never say what to preach. I say preach what God puts on your heart. And if it causes discord or whatever in the community, then we'll deal with it. <laughs> then we'll have the conversation. There's, no, there's nothing that is so hard that we can't talk and love and pray each other through it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, whatever the book was, okay, we're going to, you know, the people who are going to choose to read it are going to read it, and those who won't, won't. Um, and whatever it is, we're going to have a conversation. And God's going to do in the room what God does in the room, and then God will do other things in people's hearts. Um, and even if everyone hates it, well, then we can have a conversation about why we hated it. Um, and what does that teach us about ourselves? And what does it teach us about the world that we're in? Um, and as I read it, what I really came up with is, and specifically for, I mean, we are, we have a certain amount of diversity, but we're, we're basically, we have a dominant monoculture that is white, upper middle class boomer. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's 
this book is about someone who is definitely not any of those <laughs> things, yeah. um, is we were talking with the students before. Um, one of the things, one of the gifts that Ed Bacon gave to the congregation when he left was he invited Brian Stevenson mm -hmm. uh, to come preach and teach at All Saints Church. And, and he really introduced the congregation to this idea of proximity. Um, and that this is where transformation happens mm -hmm. is we, you know, there are, there's everyone that we consider the other. Um, and, you know, particularly when we are, you know, going into proximity of people who have less privilege than we might. Um, that is where transformation happens for everyone. And so reading the book is not the same as proximity of being with someone. Mm -hmm. So if you ask what I hope comes out of this book is that there are people, first of all, whose story this is, yeah. will feel like, oh, my church might be a safe place for me. <laughs> Where I, if, if whatever piece of, like you talked about, there were pieces of this story that you resonated with. Um, wow, maybe it's safe for me to bring that piece of myself to the table. Um, and then for everyone else who are like me, who there's very little in, other than sort of the genuine human struggles. And because there, there's very little of the particulars of that story that I, as a cisgender, straight, white, educated, privileged male, you know, resonate with. Um, and for me, it's like the beauty and the power of the story makes me just that much closer to believe that, wow, that's Jesus right there. And I need to look for opportunities where I can meet that Jesus in the flesh. Um, and if I've been changed a little bit by this book, maybe I can be transformed even more in the flesh. Um, and so what I'm hoping is it opens up our possibilities of not seeing going to communities that have been marginalized by social location as a chore and not going as, oh, this is like we're there to help or yeah. save or whatever, yeah. but to say this is what beloved community is. Yeah. Beloved community is recognized that the intersection of everyone's life is deep beauty and deep pain and deep love, and we get to be in this together. And it maybe will break that open for us in a different way. And I think, too, you know, I, as I was reading it, as a staff at a church with yeah. a certain responsibility for making sure that we're welcoming and inclusive to all people, I was mindful of, like, what what are we learning here? Because Darnell talks about, when he finally gets to talking about his faith right. and his church yeah. experience, about how he wasn't really seen or heard. He mm -hmm. couldn't be right. in those faith religious contexts. And so I know that I hope, and I think that our entire congregation hopes that we can be a place where can, people can show up being all that they are and that they will feel loved and that they will mm -hmm. feel like they can share and practice in their faith in the same Christ creator yeah. that we all believe in, in a way that affirms their identity and all of their identities. That was a big thing for me. I mean, mm -hmm. it just it was it was hard to read, though I know it, right? right. His experience of of not being um, truly welcome for all that he is in his religious context, and I, I think there's an, an opportunity for us at All Saints, as there would be for any congregation, yeah. and for all of those here studying and learning. Um, what is it that we can do to create these spaces? Well, and, and I wanted to jump on that for a second, which yeah. is like that word welcome, which is, this is such a challenge for we who are in 
majority white progressive churches because we have this really wonderful value of diversity. Mm -hmm. um, and because that we are in a position of power and privilege, um, we generally will shy away from doing the work of diversity and inclusion with a rigorous power analysis. Um, and so Stephanie Spellers lays this out so well in her book, Radical Welcome, is that we will welcome on the level of, um, you're welcome to come here if you can be like one of us. Assimilate. Uh, assimilate. Yeah, yeah. You're welcome right. on another yeah. level to come here and you can be who you are, but over here in a way mm -hmm. that isn't gonna affect the culture. And then laying out this right. idea of radical welcome of, if you come through this door, we believe that God came, God believed that there was something unique about you that this community needs. And we actually need you to be who you are in the heart of this mm -hmm. community because the expectation is you're gonna change us. Mm -hmm. um, and we do diversity so much about, in white communities, it's about ornamentation mm -hmm. in ways that does not do a power analysis or threaten the power of the dominant culture. And th that's why I say, you know, I look at, I look at the Darnell telling a story. There's a Jesus moment here. Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. a cross moment here that by his willing to be that vulnerable, mm -hmm. um, he shows us the gift of each individual life. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a life that is very different than the dominant uh, culture of All Saints Church. And to say, wow, if there is this transformation and love that I'm feeling reading this book, what would it be for us to be truly welcoming in that way? And the truth is it'll be scary mm -hmm. and it'll be hard and it will be fun and mm -hmm. joyful. And it is where the, it's, it's where the light comes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what you're suggesting and saying and that which is in my mind true is that those of us who call ourselves church, mm -hmm. uh, actually to call ourselves church is aspirational. Mm. And, <laughs> yeah. and so well we aspire yeah. to be church yeah. and yeah. thus we aspire yeah. to be radically uh, welcoming. Yeah. So I will end with, with this question. It's okay. perfect end. Mike, if you took off your blazer there, we would see this t-shirt yep. that says, it doesn't have to be this way. That's right. What's up with that? Okay, so first I gotta tell you about where this comes from and the person behind it. Uh, there is an amazing uh, person named Andre Henry. Uh, and Andre has come into the orbit of All Saints Church and he and I co-preached our Easter Sunday together. Uh, and he's an African-American man in his early 30s and he is just one of the most powerful voices I know. He has a podcast called Hope and Hard, P Hope and Hard Pills. Uh, you actually can go to andrehenry.com, uh, I think, or maybe it's theandrehenry.com get me for not knowing that. Um, <laughs> He's going to thank is, you for yes. just right. him a shot. <laughs> so anyway, I, I, so it's like this is, so part of, I can't give short answers. So, you know, part of what I realize is in my position, um, I have tons of people who will listen to me by the fact that like I'm invited to be on a podcast like this. What I saw Jesus doing all the time, and I love it because it's most clear for me in the story of Bartimaeus, mm -hmm. is taking the person who's most on the outside, bringing them to the center of the community, letting them set the agenda for the community. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, as we have power and privilege, the opportunity and gift that we have is to look for those who are most on the outside and use that to center and amplify other voices. So part of why I wore this is I wanted to amplify Andre's voice. So I, like, I want to say what that's about. And so Andre, one of the things that he has been gifted in doing is asking this question. Mm 
-hmm. or making this statement mm -hmm. is saying it doesn't have to because we look around at all the different ways that we are broken in this world and we look at it in terms of uh, the divides we have with race and class we look at it in terms of what's happening the climate catastrophe that is happening here right now we look at it how women are treated and abused we look at all these different things that are happening and there tends to be this attitude of this is so big it's intractable um, and the power of this, it doesn't have to be right. this way. Right. Um, he's, uh, he preached on Good Friday uh, for us. And I, I wish I could remember the name of the person he quoted, but he basically said that, uh, and he was quoting from someone who worked to uh, help overthrow Milosevic. Mm -hmm. um, and he said, basically, tyrants can't do everything themselves. Tyrants need systems right. and people who perpetuate these things. Um, and so if we're perpetuating these systems that are doing all this injustice, we're also capable of turning them upside down. Um, and so this is a reminder to me, and I hope to others, that as we look at things and we just say, well, that's just the way it is, it's like, no, it doesn't have to be this way. Well, thank you. Yeah. And in fact, Darnell Moore's book, No Ashes in the Fire, reminds us yeah. that it doesn't have to be this way. That's right. That's right. Thank you for yeah. this conversation. Well, this and thank, thank you for, you for having this part. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is great. I can't wait to see what happens next. Right. Yeah. Me too. Thank you. Great.